This week on the Golf Digest podcast, amateur standout Stuart Hagestad, fresh off a successful week as a member of the U.S. Walker Cup team, joins us to talk about his crazy year and why he's still not tempted to make a go as a professional. All coming up next on the Golf Digest podcast. Welcome to the Golf Digest podcast. This is Sam Wyman. I'm joined uh, today by my colleague, Golf Digest editorial director, Max Adler. And today our guest is Stuart Hagestad, who has had a dream season uh, as an amateur uh, standout. He was in not only in the Masters, he was a low amateur in the Masters, made the cut. He uh, qualified for the U.S. Open and was a member of the U.S. Walker Cup team. Uh, most importantly, was a member of the U.S. Walker Cup team that was played at L.A. Country Club, his home course, and he... Uh, won the clinching point for the U.S. in a resounding win over Great Britain and Ireland. And the most interesting thing about Stuart Hagestad is he clearly has the game to make a go of a life on, on the Pro Tours, but he's not going anywhere. He's remaining an amateur. He's applying to business schools. And uh, he explains that a big part of the reason why is he doesn't want to make golf something more than something he loves. He wants to keep it uh, kind of pure in that sense, which is really interesting. Anyway, he's a really bright guy. Uh, has a lot of interesting things to say about uh, the game in general, but his game and, and this uh, you know this really exciting year. So we're going to go to that interview with uh, Max Stewart and myself right now. We want to welcome in from Southern California, Stuart Hagestad, fresh off his uh, resounding performance in the Walker Cup, a victorious uh, week for the U.S. side. Stuart, uh, thank you for joining myself and Max Adler. Well, thank you very much for having me. Um, yeah, pretty special week, and uh, excited to to get into whatever you guys are whatever you guys are thinking. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, in the lead up to the Walker Cup, uh, played at Los Angeles Country Club, where you're a member. You famously called it uh, a home field disadvantage due to the extra pressure you might feel. And I thought that was such an interesting reminder to all of us that competitive golf can be so much about you know handling one's emotion versus you know, reading greens or, or picking the right club. So ultimately, now that the, the cup is over, what was it like uh, having an international event on your home course? And, and what were some of the things you did to kind of mitigate that extra pressure from, from people expecting you to perform so well on your home course? Sure. Um, yeah, I think, you know, I think you kind of touched on it. And anyone that's ever played in – you know, a club championship for the first time or they've been in anything on a golf course where they're very familiar in front of friends and family, I think can kind of relate and, you know, really kind of resonate with, with what I was trying to relay. Um, obviously, I'm very comfortable at it, probably country club and you know, having spent, you know, many afternoons, you know, seeing the course in different conditions and having played a bunch of club events out there. But, um, you know, just, just having people come in from Orange County and from L.A., um, people fly across the country from New York, where I spent, you know, a few years out of college. Um, this isn't exactly, you know, a, a club championship where, you know, it means a lot to you. But you just, I felt kind of this external pressure that I'm sure I, you know, put upon myself. But um, it just, it, it meant a lot to have all those people come. And I really just wanted to, you know, not only perform for them, but perform for my teammates and perform for amateurs around the country. And um, there was... There was a lot of, I felt, external pressure. But, um, you know, to, to get the W and to, to help seal 
you know, the win for the United States and the final day in singles, um, you know, for my teammates and for Captain Miller, uh, it was pretty, it was pretty special. You know, you, you often hear um, professional players who play in the Ryder Cup say the pressure they face in that is greater than what they face uh, in a major championship. And you're in the rare position that you can speak to to playing uh, in a Walker Cup and playing in a major championship in the same year. So in terms of, like Max said, managing your emotions and your nerves, how do the, how do the two compare? I, I totally agree. Um you know, again, not to harp on, you know, playing at home, but again, I, I feel like I really put a lot of pressure on myself to, to perform. And, um, you know, if it had been different where, you know, if it had, say, been at national, you know, mm-hmm. say that this event had taken place a couple of years ago or it was over in Europe, maybe it wouldn't have been, you know, I'm sure it would have been there, but maybe not as extreme. But, you know, having played in both the U.S. Open and the Masters, um, the pressure that I felt during the Masters on the first day for the first seven holes and the days after with the first few holes um, before my body and mind kind of calmed down and my nerves kind of, you know, went to ease, um, that was very comparable to what I felt the entire day out at L.A. Um, I was speaking to a couple friends of mine um, who had played on Walker Cups before, and they all kind of said, you know, even on the – back nine, you know, deep on 13, 14, 15, 16, whatever it may be, like they were shaking over shots. Mm-hmm. So I can definitely kind of relate to, to what they were going through because I, there was never really a point in the match where I ever felt at ease or mm-hmm. felt, uh, you know, that I was kind of in my own space. Like every hole means so much and you know, every, every point is so important, you know, and at, at the end of the, at the end of the, you know, four sessions. So, um, I can totally relate, and I, I, I really couldn't agree more. I, I didn't think that anything could compare to the first shot at Augusta, but I can, <laughs> I can definitely tell you not just the first shot in either of the single sessions that I played, but really all of them um, were, were very, very nerve-wracking. So I, I totally can understand what they're saying. I'm sure. So this is a um, unique circumstance for you because you're around all of these uh, players on your team and on the other side, who many of them are – likely headed to a professional career and you've been pretty uh clear that that's not in the cards for you but i'm curious when you're around your you know teammates and opponents this week all of whom are headed down that road how does how does that decision sit with you now having been through that experience yeah um i mean nothing's really changed on my end i've got my own set of personal goals and you know things that i want to accomplish but you know, having spent the last week and a half with all the guys on the team, um, those guys are so talented, so good. And every every time I would, you know, hit balls with them or tee it up, you know, to go out and play or just chip and putt, like you kind of have an appreciation for just how good they really are. You know, even more than, you know, playing the national amateur events with them over the summer um, and really for the past year. But, I mean, these guys are, are all the best, you know, in the United States, and they're all going to have very – you know, hopefully long and successful careers, but um, I really think it's kind of the example to say, you know, I'm a big college football fan, and I, they're always going to say that, you know, iron sharpens, sharpens iron, and just by being around guys that are better than you in certain aspects of their game, it makes you better in turn. Um, and I think that's one thing that we really, really um, committed to early in the week is we, we really tried to challenge each other to peak and to play as well as we possibly could when the pressure was on. But as far as their games are concerned, as far as watching them, it was a, an honor and a, and a privilege to have such a great team and to be around them. And 
um, I really think we all pushed each other to, to play great um, for these couple of days. And there's no doubt in my mind that they're all going to have successful careers, whether it's in golf or business or whatever they decide to do. But um, I've got no doubt that we'll be seeing a lot of them in years to come. Speaking of, of the international amateur events, Stu, I remember you kind of explaining to me earlier in the year your decision to remain an amateur and how so much of the travel and preparation uh, kind of helped illuminate for you just how big a commitment it is to turn pro. Talk to me more uh, you know, about that decision. What, what is the difference between playing 30 events in a year versus you know, maybe 9 or 10 as an amateur? I, I think it's a very common misconception of people that come up to me and they say, why aren't you going to turn pro? You know, why are you going to stop playing competitive golf? And, you know, my answer to that is I just, as you just kind of said, you know, that I've said a few times is I just don't necessarily need to be on the road 28 to 35 weeks a year to kind of, you know, ease that competitive urge or you know, that competitive, you know, desire to play. I love playing competitive golf and I love preparing, but it takes a lot out of you. And, you know, others may say differently. Just in my personal experience, I've found that playing competitive golf now, essentially since the beginning of January, which, you know, is what I've done, you know, having taken a sabbatical from work and thrown everything I've had um, into trying to you know, prepare the best I could for the Masters and then to do the best I could to, you know, um, try and earn the opportunity to play on the Walker Cup team. And now going forward for the next month to, to try and focus on defending the mid-am, um, it's just to me personally, it's made. I feel like it's made my my personality and my my goals a little one-dimensional. And there's just to me, you know, I have other goals, other things I want to accomplish. And I just feel like um, what makes playing competitive golf so fun for me is it's kind of an escape from other things, whether that's work or friends or you know. You know, when the time comes, you know, my, my family, not that, not to say that, you know, I want to be away from them, but <laughs> it's just, it, yeah. it's an extra, you know what I mean? It's just sure. an extra, it's an extra, you know, piece of me that, you know, I feel like kind of allows me to focus on those other things and so that I can really focus all my time and energy into different parts of my life. And that's what makes it fun. And, you know, the amateurs, like, use my, you know, my captain, Spider Miller, as an example. I think part of the reason why he's been so successful and been such a great, father and family man is because he you know looked forward to playing competitively and he right. truly made the most out of practicing and getting ready and that in turn benefited you know his other parts of his life right it sounds like so yeah sorry uh, i i mean like with playing professional golf is really hard it's nowhere near as glamorized as it's made out to be you know obviously you know you look at the top guys whether it's dustin jordan justin shoot i mean just ricky whoever i mean they're they're flying on private planes and you know they're playing for millions of dollars on a weekly basis on the best golf courses that are so manicured but i mean look at all the guys that are not just on the web tour but you know on other mini tours you know driving six to eight hours to go to certain events or guys are shooting 18 under par and getting lapped by five or six shots over three days <laughs> it's just it's, i don't i don't think it's quite as as i said i just don't think it's quite as glamorized as it's made out to be and I'm pretty comfortable, you know, with my position playing amateur golf for an awfully long time, and and hopefully I can kind of benefit that space because there's a lot of great people in that in that space of amateur golf and of the world of competitive golf, and um, you know, hopefully I can add value in, in that regard. Yeah, I was going to say it sounds like um, you want to make golf 
something that you always escape to and not turn it into something that you're looking to escape from, which is what professional golf could end up being because there is that kind of grind at right. That's That's a really good way to put it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So speaking of of escapes, Stu, uh, I think it was the other week that you were telling us uh, about your man cave, and I was all too happy to send you your swing sequence uh, that appears in this month's issue of Golf Digest uh, for you to to blow up and and put on on your wall. As the reigning U.S. mid-amateur champ, you must have some cool stuff in there. What what else do you have? (laughs) Well, um... Thank you for doing that. Uh, I love the shameless plug. If you didn't do it, I was going to do it for you. Um, so thank you for that. Um, you know, I just my my office, you know, personal office at, at my at my dad's house, which is where I'll be until I move up to LA to go back to work. It's just kind of, I guess, my, my younger brother described me as a hoarder, but it's, but he, you know, he as he said that, I kind of said, well, and, he, and then he kind of backtracked and he goes, I mean, you may be a hoarder, but it's all really cool stuff, so I can't really be mad about it. Um, I mean, you know, little things I picked up from both the U.S. Open and the Masters. Um, I've tried to get my, my scroll, you know, from various tournaments that I've played well in. Um, I'm really trying to get the scroll from the Walker Cup, you know, where I played Jack Singbrar. Um, You know, both scrolls were both I won and lost, um, just to kind of have going forward. Um, you know, to kind of look around and walk around, just, you know, couple golf bags and head covers and just towels from tournaments I've played. I know that sounds weird, but sentimentally it's, it's cool to me. Um, I look at all my USGA pins that I've, you know, kind of earned over the years and events that I've played, um, you know, just stuff like that. Uh, anyone that's ever, you know, played a whole bunch of competitive golf, they have a certain passion, you know, and anything can kind of relate. Um, you know, as I'm looking now at my, USGA, you know, US Mid-Am medal that I was given, or the, the trophy, or the uh, the player gift that they gave us last year, which is like a milk jug that Stonewall <laughs> Links gave us. So, just little things like that. Um, you know, I'm sure that it'll only continue to build, but you kind of you kind of get the idea with where I'm going with that. It's all going to be organized at some point, and you know, have a little room dedicated to the place where I can kind of escape and look back on all my golf accomplishments. That's really neat. Well, you could possibly um, start charging admission as a source of income to that to that room over time. Huh. Um, hey, look, I've been to the USGA Museum and nothing tops that. <laughs> that one's pretty stunning. Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty cool with just having friends and buddies come in and, and look at it, and we can just laugh and have a beer and kind of look around at some of the memories that, that they've been a part of. So I'm that's, cool with that. That's very cool. Well, Max mentioned the – the swing sequence, which was in the September issue of Golf Digest, and in there, we we talked about how you don't work with an instructor right now, um, which is unique for a player of your level. And I know that uh, you did work with instructors like Jim Flick earlier in your career, and uh, went to uh, Hank Haney Academy. So I'm curious um, why the decision to not work with an instructor, and you know, what are the parts of your game that maybe felt like um, justified that decision? And what are the parts where you feel like you could use another set of eyes? Yeah, I mean, I, I've said for a long time that even though I don't work with an instructor, it's it's I'm just kind of a big believer. If it's not broken, don't fix it. Mm-hmm. The things that I work on now are the same things that I worked on when I was 17, 18, 19, working with Jim. Um, there will be a time when I go to work with an instructor, and I've 
spoken to a few people privately, and I don't really feel the need to tell anyone who those are. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's a couple people that I've, I've reached out to and spoken to, and there will be a time when I feel the need to reach out and to start working with them. It's just not now. I just don't have the time. And, you know, kind of in the middle of the season, I don't really feel the need to, to go and re-tinker something that's not broken. I've had a pretty good year, and I've had some success going going back the last few years. Um, but, you know, to have another set of eyes and to have someone kind of clean out all the clutter, um, you know, that, that goes on, and in my mind, I don't think would be a bad thing. It just needs to be the right fit, and it needs to be the right person, and it kind of takes time to figure out who that really is. Um, again, I won't really go into detail. I just don't think it's necessary, but um, when the time comes, you know, I'm sure I'll, I'll find, you know, the, the right guy that I can work with. Part of the problem is I'm really stubborn, and right. it needs to be the right fit. Yeah. Um, you know, working with an instructor is such a personal thing, and it takes time to, to find that fit. So, you know, we'll see. But, um, yeah, I mean, part of the reason that I feel like it's justified in my mind is I'm an awfully good ball striker. I hit, you know, a bunch of fairways and a bunch of greens and got plenty of length, and I just I look at my swing on camera from time to time, and I kind of know more or less what I want to work on, you know, what types of shots I'm trying to hit. But one thing that my coach, Chris Ambry at USC, couldn't stand when I was in college, but now as I've gotten older, I've, you know, funny how as you get older, you, you know, figure out how stupid you were when you were young. <laughs> um, but, you know, as I've gotten older, you know, he would always say to me, hey, if you're hitting a bunch of draws, hit some fades to kind of straighten it out. Or if you're cutting it too much, you know, hit some draws to straighten it out. Just call such a game of opposites where – I think if you look at a lot of the kids from today, you know, they require an extra set of eyes and a track man and a string guru and whatever to figure things out. It's like, just go look at your ball flight and look mm-hmm. at your divots. Like if you can, you know, kind of figure out those things and if you're, you know, if your divots are heading left and you're hitting these high, you know, left to right cutty shots, well, maybe, you know, hit some draws to straighten it out. It's just like, to me, it's just, it's kind of, I feel like the best players in the world, if you go back 20, 30 years, the best ball strikers, like if you're out like Johnny Miller and Jack Nicholas, you know, to look at their divots and their ball flight, they can tell you exactly what's going on, you know, through the impact position, which is ultimately the most important part of the golf swing. Yeah, no, as I, I, I couldn't agree more with that kind of more natural and, and grounded way of, of kind of evaluating your golf. But, but what's interesting uh, about you is, I mean, last year you were living in New York City uh, for a, a good part of, of your life and, and working here, and uh, you worked out at, at Golf and Body, which is a, a private gym with, with indoor simulators. And so how are you able to maximize your time there, uh, you know, on a launch monitor, in a confined space, kind of being able to practice with those more limited means? What did, what did you learn about kind of making that time fruitful? Sure. Um, you know, as I just said that, you know, people don't need track bands to figure it out. Well, unfortunately, when you are hitting in the nets and there's no divots available, you, but you have the you know use of track bands, then that's kind of what you would make the most of. So what I would set up is I didn't really like to get lost in the numbers of it. So to make it as simple and, re- excuse me, as simple and reflective of real life as possible, I would go to golf and body, you know, either before work or after work, um, you know, before my sabbatical in January. But um, I would go in and I would set up six things. I would set up uh, swing path, 
base angle, swing the path, you know, which is kind of like the, you know, addition subtraction version of those two. Um, they basically tell me what was the face in club head doing through impact. So that's like essentially your divot, your carry distance for wedges, your total distance for, you know, some of the longer clubs just to see if you hit like a thin one or, you know, hit one a little chunky or whatever. You're getting off mat, so you're kind of just going at it from, you know, the raw data. And then from a side total perspective, how many yards offline it is. Um, and using that data and that information, I was kind of able to, you know, focus on the important parts of my golf swing, even though the ball's only flying, what, 15 feet. Mm-hmm. Um, you could figure out kind of what, what it was doing, and I could then kind of hone my, my swing and, you know, my move through impact to, to reflect that of what it, you know, would get to in the spring, or, you know, when it was wintertime and there was snow on the ground. Um, but I would honestly just say, you know, living in New York City and having golf and body is such a unique you know, asset to my game, it allowed me to focus on the fitness side of it, where even if you look at me, I'm a skinny kid, but um, I was able to focus on other parts of, of, of the fitness regimen that would then turn over and benefit me in the summer. And, you know, again, by being in New York, you couldn't really be outside, and you're always just out of press the time. So I was able to really maximize and, you know, make my practice very efficient, um, even though it was inside and even though I wasn't able to see the ball fly. Is that kind of is that kind of is that what you're kind of mentioning or, or referring to? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's uh, you are kind of the the portal for for so many golf digest readers and how to how to play your best while kind of having limited circumstances like living in New York and those six criteria uh, you mention, I think are, are very instructive. I just I just think it comes down to efficiency and simplicity. Um, I feel like it's so easy if you're given a whole bunch of tools to be able to get caught up in some of the granular aspects of the swing and in golf. And for me, I always kind of tried to dumb myself down. Like even when I putt, like when I would putt at golf and body, the only things I would put down were chalk line. And I would, even though I had 25 feet, you know, of a putting green to work with, well, I really tried to hone in and maintain my speed on, you know, an astroturf putting green. Um, it doesn't take a whole lot. I mean, if you ask any competitive golfer, if you make all your putts inside eight feet and you hit it okay, you're probably going to play pretty good. Right. Play pretty well. Play pretty well. Excuse my <laughs> grammar. Um, you know, so to me, I, I just kind of tried to focus on the things that I could control and the things that, that I was able to focus on giving or given, you know, relatively limited resources. And, you know, I think I, I really did a nice job of, kind of making the most of, of the opportunity. And, um, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't be here today had it not been for their facility. So, you know, a huge thank you to Golf and Body. Yeah, you you had mentioned um, you know the importance of simplifying your swing and what's going on in, inside your head when you're standing over the ball. And it's funny because we, we had Jim McLean in here uh, a couple weeks ago, and it's strange for an instructor to say, but sometimes he says the guys who don't work with instructors, especially kids, um, have a much freer swing, much simpler swing for the better, and they don't get bogged down with a lot of thoughts in their head. And I'm curious if you've, if that's been part of the dynamic that you've been looking for by not working with instructors. It allows you to, to be free of a lot of kind of constraining thoughts. Mm, I understand what you're, what you're getting at and what you're referring to. Um, the answer is yes and no. Like, even though I don't work with someone like I said, I still go back to the same things that I worked on with Jim, you know, when I was 17, 18, 19. Like, there's certain things in my swing that I want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my the way my, my position on the club is, is parallel with the ground, my position at the top, the way that 
I move into the golf ball from the ground up, you know, and, you know, on my downswing and the way that I you know, follow through. I mean, all those things, while I may not be focusing on those things at the same time, they're little checkpoints yeah. that you know, I, I harp on and that I refer back to during my time with, with Jim Flick. And I think those are some of the key aspects and components that have, you know, it, it's not as, as technical as, you know, working with, with some guys, but it's, I, I have to really keep myself in check and be self-aware so that, you know, bad habits don't begin to creep in. Um, I, I really try and, and, you know, simplify the approach and I, I almost try and not ask people for advice mm-hmm. and not, you know, what they think about my strength. Like, if I ever bring someone in, it's like, how's my alignment? How are my, you know, shoulders relative to my feet? Um, you know, there can be so much that's said about the game as it relates to fundamentals. My college coach, Chris Ambry, who, I mean, it's it nowhere, no disrespect coach at all. <laughs> um, but he could get it up and down, you know, from a garbage can. You know, and, and he always used to say the best way to practice short game is to throw a couple balls around the green in different spots and just, you know, chip around. Right. Fundamentals are an important part of short game, but practice and touch and feel and confidence are so much more important. Like you can chip with a closed stance, you can chip with an open stance, you can chip with a seven iron, you can chip with a lob wedge. Um, you know, as long as you're comfortable with what you're doing and you believe in your method, that's the most important part. And I think the same can be said for a lot of the golf game as well. I mean, again, a guy that I would love to use as an example would be, you know, the John Rahm versus Jim Furyk. Both are extremely, you know, effective, you know, players and, and they've done exceptionally well with their various swings, but they swing it incredibly differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, both are going to have, well, Jim's obviously already have a, a Hall of Fame worthy career and, you know, it looks like Rahm is, you know, potentially on his way. So fundamentals, I think, are the biggest part. And then from there, it's just kind of, really believing in, in what you're doing is the best thing for you. <clears throat> the um, Walker Cup is now in the rearview mirror. You mentioned the mid-am, so I, I would imagine that's a, a huge focus, and I would imagine also that a lot of what next year looks like might hinge on how you how you fare uh, in your defense. So talk to me a little bit about what, what you know of your schedule and what your, your, you know, your next year looks like. Yeah, um, so my plan initially kind of going forward is um, I'm going to play two more events. Um, I'm going to play one in New Jersey in about a week and a half. And then after that, I've got a USGA four-ball qualifier. I've got a wedding for a good friend's younger brother. And then after that, I'm going to try and you know defend a medium in Atlanta. As soon as that's done, I'll spend about a month, month and a half putting together um, some business school applications and um, you know, just essays, letters of reference, everything that kind of goes into that. Everyone said, you know, as much time as you think it takes, just give yourself a little bit extra and make sure you do it the right way. So I'll go through that. As soon as that's done and I apply for round two at various schools, um, I'll go back to work somewhere in L.A. Um, until the end of May. As soon as that's done, um, hopefully the floor ball kind of be like the first day of that. Mm-hmm. I will play the that. Amateur schedule for the summer for June and July, and then I'll end up going to graduate school wherever that ends up being. You didn't make any mention of the Masters. You're not you're not conceding well, that you're definitely going. Well, <laughs> um, let me get through the mid-am and no. we'll see what happens. But, you know, obviously there's things in between, but um, let me see if I can earn an invitation for next April, and you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully, I have a chance to, to try and defend one mid-am, but. 
there's eh, there's a lot of there's a lot of work that needs to be yeah. put done and things that need to be accomplished before I can begin to think about that. So <laughs> that's an admirable um, amount of humility there. No, there'll, there'll be no there'll be no mention of that, you know, until uh, you know until until you know one one way or the other. Uh, I'm glad I'm glad Sam brought it up. <laughs> I was I wasn't gonna do it myself, but nope. you no, not saying a word. <laughs> You know, this past year, uh, you know, what all us Walter Mitty's think of is just a year that couldn't have been better. Making the cut in the Masters, playing in the U.S. Open, uh, winning the, the clinching point for the Walker Cup team. As far as amber golf goes, you know, there will be a, a return to earth, uh, presumably once you're in, in business school or, or your career uh, working uh, it advances more and you'll be playing in events where there are no TV cameras, whether it's, you know, the State Am in California or, you, you know, you come back to the Met area and uh, belatedly defend your title at the, at the Met Am. But you're going to be playing in front of, you know, no crowds or, or very limited crowds and, you know, just a, a very different atmosphere. And so how do you anticipate, um, you know, being able to maintain the sort of same intensity uh, in those types of events that you've experienced this past year well it's it's kind of you know to stay consistent with what i touched on earlier is part of the reason why i'm not turning pro is i don't need to play in front of crowds or in front of a tv or for prize money to get myself excited to want to play in competitive amateur golf i don't i don't exactly like you know when i prepare for the mid-am or i prepare for we'll say a club championship I want to win and I want to play as well as I can because that's what makes me happy and that's what drives me. I don't really, I've never, I never got into playing competitive golf to, to play in front of crowds and to play in front of TV cameras. I got into it because I enjoyed, you know, trying to prepare the best that I can to give my, myself the opportunity to play as well as I can when, you know, when the lights are on. The lights are on being you have a scorecard in your pocket and you're playing against other guys. Um, you know, I, you're right. I mean, there will be a, a quote-unquote return to earth, but, you know, at the same time, that gets me just as excited as, you know, it would be to play in the U.S. Open and Masters. You're, if you if you show up to a golf tournament and your goal isn't to win, you know, I grew up kind of in the Tiger era, and I completely agree with Tiger in, in that, you know, you shouldn't show up, you know, trying to, to play well or, you know, to finish second or third or fourth or to get a top ten. If you don't believe that you should that you're you know that you're showing up to try and win then why why do you show up i mean it's it's a sport and it's it's uh you know you want to play the best you can and maybe i'll come off as being cocky when i say this but you know if you're going to play the game anyone at the highest level is going to believe that you know they're one of the best and their their goal is to win and you know anything less than that you know is you know a neat accomplishment if it's a big event like a major championship but you should you should want to win you know every event you play in whether there's a crowd or there's a camera or not. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know what the, I guess, politically correct way to answer that is, but the short answer is I want to go out and play as well as I possibly can, no matter, no matter the size of the event. Um, you know, I, I'm going to prepare as well as I can for, for any, for any given event, no matter the size, whether it's a major or a club championship and um, shoot, if it's even a four ball scramble, you know, or whatever, let's, 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 you know, prepare as well as we can and, and kind of go from there. Mm-hmm. No, it's, that's, that's so well said. It's a, it's a good affirmation or reaffirmation for, for while we all play. And, 
it's it's heartening to hear uh, a player of your caliber kind of remind us of the, the basic intrinsic yeah, motivation it's, it's of golf. Difficult, it's a difficult question to answer, you know, the right, the right way. I, I, I don't know. It's, you know, that's what we specialize in difficult questions for the, for, for the record. Since you guys are cutting this part, you may want to cut this one, but it's a tough, it's a tough question to answer. But at the same time, I don't know, you know, the right way to say it, but the reality or, you know, I don't know how to put it into words, but, um, you know, I'm, Again, like I said, I don't I don't exactly need a camera or a big crowd to, to motivate me to want to go out and play the best I can. I think the, the the most important question we can ask you is: as you are applying to business schools, how much consideration are you giving to the quality of the nearby golf courses? Do you want me to be totally honest? Go. It's a it's a pretty it's, you know it's it's there. I, look, <laughs> I, I don't I don't I don't I don't need this. You know, I don't need to go out, and I won't go much into detail. But you know, there's, there's, uh, you know, it's 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 a, it's definitely there's a layer, there's a, there's a degree of of thought that goes into that, you know. But um, yeah, I think you've just given us an idea for our, our new I've, ranking. I've, 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 I've told I've told Max in, in privacy, you know, some of the places I'm looking, and um, you know, he. he there, there's, there's, yeah, yeah. I thought about it. No, it's. We'll, I can connect the dots. Yeah. Okay. I was gonna say we'll we'll start we'll start uh, doing just that. Well, listen, I'm sure you're looking to uh, unwind. It's been a kind of whirlwind couple of well weeks, months for you, but a good one, I'm sure. Um, so I want to thank you for first of all joining us, um, and also to wish you luck in your defense at the mid am. Well, thank you very much, and uh, you know, hopefully, we can have this conversation, um, you know, in a couple months, and you know, hopefully, um, maybe I've earned the opportunity to go down to, to Georgia again. But you know, if not, that's okay too. So, but thank you very much for having me, and um, you know, I really appreciate it. And it's been a special year, so thank you for following up with me and, and having an interest. Thank you, Stu. Good luck uh, at the Capital City Club. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. Hope to see you guys soon. Take care. Thanks so much to Stuart Hagestad for joining us on this week's Golf Digest podcast. We wish him the best of luck in defending his title in the U.S. Mid-Am. Please check back next week to see who our guests will be. We've got an exciting fall coming.